As a preacher, we don't deliver sermons. We deliver messages from God. And so as we come to times like this, and every time we have the opportunity to step behind this sacred desk and deliver the divine oracles of this book, we want to make sure that it's spirit-led and spirit-filled. Certainly. I'm going to speak to a very difficult topic in... Um, not easy to preach, but it's something that I think God would have me preach this morning. I prayed about it, asked the Lord, Lord, why don't you give me a different message? And he wouldn't let me get away from it. So if you would, take your Bibles and let's go to John chapter number 5. John chapter number 5, I've entitled the message, Missing the Miracle. Missing the Miracle. And if you're in John chapter number 5, if you're there, say Amen. 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 Um, we do this at our church. I'm not sure what you do here, but if you just stand for the reading of God's word with me this morning, I just, I just appreciate that. And I'm going to begin in verse number one, and we're going to read down through verse number 16. Uh, probably a very familiar text to most of you. Uh, some of you uh, ladies have probably preached out of this text, amen? Uh, taught out of this text. Uh, men, you've probably preached out of this text. Um, it's a wonderful text, and, and we're going to look at it in a little bit different way this morning, not teaching new truth. Uh, truth is always the same. It's always there, but maybe a, a fresh perspective. Verse number one. After this, there was a feast of Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then, first after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity, thirty and eight Years, older than most of the students here, obviously. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Interesting question. Not rhetorical. And the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. And you just kind of sense his frustration. I love verse 8. Jesus, Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and what? And the Bible says, And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. Now notice the change in the next phrase of the story. And on the same day was the what? The Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, is, It is the Sabbath day. Is it not lawful for thee to be carrying thy bed? Now, let's stop here. How many years was this man lame? All these religious leaders could focus on was not the miracle but focus on why he was breaking the Sabbath. They're missing the miracle. And that's really what I want to speak on this morning. Verse 11, he answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? 
And he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole, and therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. I want to share a message, and it's going to be more, there might be more teaching than preaching this morning in this message. Missing the miracle. Father, bless the reading of your word. I'm thankful that I can stand uh, before these students and, and, and preach this morning. Fill me with your spirit. Lord, I'm thankful for Pastor Chapel and just you using here, him here in Lancaster for so many years. Continue to bless him, his family, the work here. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Have you ever been so focused on something that you have missed something important. Uh, for example, I'm sure none of you are ever on your phones in class, right? Yeah. But have you ever been maybe checking out the, the pin on Pinterest or maybe checking the, uh, the tweet on Twitter and you're kind of checking that and the professor's giving you some pretty important information about an assignment and all of a sudden, because you're focused on Pinterest or you're focused on Twitter, all of a sudden now you've missed some pretty important information. Or, or maybe, uh, maybe you're driving down the freeway and you're engaged, I'm sure, in some deep theological conversation about Scooby-Doo or something like that, right? And, as you're driving down the freeway, you're supposed to take a certain exit or you're supposed to make a certain turn. And all of a sudden, because you're talking, you miss the turn you're supposed to make. So you've got to make the big turn around and come back around and all of that. Because you were focused on one thing, you miss something more important. How many have friends? Are there, okay, good. I'm glad you guys have friends. Let me finish my question. Yes, that, was, that was too long a pause there. Sorry about that. <laughs> How many have friends that are kind of the proverbial blonde. You know what I'm saying by that, right? It's kind of like you say things and it just kind of goes over their head. And anybody have friends like that? Yeah. Any of you have the courage to say, I kind of am that friend? Anybody want to admit that's kind of me? I'm the, yeah. I got blonde roots maybe, right? Yeah. The idea is you're focused on one thing, but you're missing something far more important. In our text, these religious leaders of Jesus' day, they were focused on one thing and they were missing something far more important. And what they were missing, they were missing the miracle that Jesus Christ had just performed next to that pool of Bethesda by raising that, that lame man from his condition. So I want us to first see number one this morning. I want you to see number one, the miracle. I want you to observe the miracle. We see that Jesus came to this pool in Jerusalem and he offered help to the helpless. If you're thankful that Jesus offers help to the helpless, could I get an amen this morning? I am thankful that in my helpless state of my sin, Jesus comes and He offers help. He offers salvation. We were sinners in need of salvation. And Jesus Christ came so that we could have that help. So that we could have that salvation that is only found in Him. 
I want you to notice in our text. He asked the man in verse number 6. He asked the man this. Wilt thou be made what? Now that's not a rhetorical question like I said a moment ago. Because the reality is this. Not everyone necessarily wants healing. Not everyone necessarily wants healing. They might say, well, I don't understand that. But how many of you have been out soul winning and you've talked to somebody about sin and salvation and, and they're kind of like, oh, so I can have forgiveness of sin and I can have pardon? And, and you're kind of like, yeah, you just need to simply trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. And they say, yeah, thanks, but I don't think I'm going to do that. Have you ever had that before? That's someone that needs help and they choose, they make a willful decision uh, to reject that help. So Jesus asked this question. He wanted to make sure this sick man wanted to be healed. And so Jesus asks him, and the answer comes. And the empty man says, well, yeah, totally I do, but I can't make it to the water when the water's stirred. And so number one, we see Jesus, he helps the helpless. But number two, under this miracle, Jesus gives hope to the hopeless. Jesus gives hope to the hopeless. This man is in a hopeless condition. He, for year after year after year after year, he sees the water stirred. And I can imagine just the pandemonium it would be next to the pool of Bethesda as people are trying to get into that pool. I guarantee you people were pushing. They were shoving. I'm sure people were trying to pay other people to get them to the pool a little bit quicker. Maybe they're trying to buy spots next to the pool. I'm sure all of that was taking place. And it was an amazing time. But this man almost realizes, you know, for year after year after year, I've just been trying to get into the water and get healed, but it's not going to happen. It's not going to take place. I just, I just can't get there. And, and I mean, that's in his voice. That, that's in what he's telling us in verse number 7. Look at it now. Verse 7. Sir, I, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming, just... Hear the discouragement and hopelessness while I'm coming every time another steppeth down before me. I am thankful the God that we serve is a God of hope. This world does not provide true, lasting hope. But the gospel that we preach, the word of God that we believe, I believe this has the hope for humanity and it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. If you believe that this morning, say amen. amen. Yeah, that's what brings us here. It's the hope that's changed us and it's the hope for humanity that can change a life. Jesus, he provides hope. I like what Phillips wrote. He wrote a book. It's a small little read. I like little books because they're easy to read. Amen? Yeah. But it's a small little read, and the book is entitled, Your God is Too Small. Good read. I recommend it. But in this, in this book, John Phillips, the commentator, he, he writes about how many people have a misconception or a misrepresentation of who God is. And might I just say this morning, in your life, your God might be too small. 
Or the idea is this, that in your mindset when it comes to, I'm not going to be able to pay my school bill, my parents aren't going to come to Jesus Christ. I mean, just all kinds of different things you're struggling with and dealing with. It's almost in some of those areas you have given up hope. But let me say this. As long as God is on the throne, and He will always be on the throne, there is always hope. Let me give you a simple illustration. This last Sunday I got a text from a girl I grew up with. Her name's Tammy Gearhart. Her parents, Doug and Linda Gearhart, came to Bible Baptist Church for decades before they moved away. It's interesting. Doug Gearhart would come every single Sunday morning, sit alongside of his wife, and he was as lost as a goose in a snowstorm. The previous pastor, Pastor Storrs, would talk to him about salvation. I had opportunity to talk to him about salvation. And Doug says, yeah, that's great, but I don't want to get saved. It's been 40 plus years, I've been trying to think about this, but it's been 40 plus years that people have been trying to witness Doug Gearhart and, and have him come to salvation. Linda Gearhart, week after week in our prayer time, she would say, can you pray for my husband Doug to get saved? Week after week, can you pray for Doug to get saved? Decade after decade, would you pray for Doug to get saved? This last Sunday, Doug Gearhart got saved. Yeah. With our God on the throne, there's always hope. The miracle. Wow. Our God is a God of help. Our God is a God of hope. We serve a good God. And I don't know what you're going through today, but I do know this. God wants to help you. God wants to offer you hope today. And what you need to do is you need to look to Him. You need to trust in Him. You need to find your rest in Him. You need to find your joy and your comfort in Him and Him alone. Because He alone can help. He alone provides hope. Praise the Lord for that. Rise. Take up thy bed and walk. Jesus performs a miracle in one simple sentence. That speaks to the amazing power of our God. Certainly. How many would agree... This is a supernatural, amazing event. Amen? But this is the weird thing about the story. And this is where, this is where I'm going to kind of preach it, I guess, today and teach it here. People miss that. God was doing amazing things, but they were so focused on something else, <laughs> they missed the miracle that God had performed. 30 plus years, this man had been lame at the pool of Bethesda. Everybody knew the man. And all of a sudden now, this man took up his bed and he began to walk down the road. And these religious leaders, they saw this man walking down the road. Their first response, listen now, their first response was not, whoa. You are now walking. This is absolutely amazing. To God be the glory. Let's celebrate this great miracle together. Let me, let's get together and let's have a, have, have a, I don't know, potluck. That's what Baptists do. Amen. Let's get together and, and just have a great time and just thank the Lord and praise his name. Was that their response? No, that actually wasn't their response. Look at verse 10. Let's see their response now. The Jews, therefore, said unto him that was cured, um, excuse me, sir, um, it's the Sabbath day. It's not lawful for you to be carrying your bed. 
Are you seeing the irony in all of this? You guys with me on this this morning? Uh, This man is walking, hasn't been walking for decades. The man's walking along and all they're focused on, um, excuse me, it's the Sabbath day. You shouldn't be carrying your bed right now. Are you kidding me? This man has just been healed and all you're focused on is some technicality that you have made up when it comes to the commands of God. You've got to be out of your minds. They missed the miracle. Yeah. How did they miss the miracle? How did they miss the miracle? Are you ready for it? They had on the lenses of legalism. That's how they missed the miracle. The reason why these religious leaders missed the miracle is because they had on the lenses of legalism. Now, I must give a caveat on the front side of this. You can be a more conservative person. You can be a more progressive person. There is legalism in both camps. So I don't want anybody walking away today saying, well, conservatives are legalists and and progressive guys are not legalists. You're saying progressive guys are legalists and conservative guys are not legalists. No, no, no. Legalism comes from the heart. It comes from the attitude within. And I believe God is what God wants me to share. They had on the lenses. They were looking at the circumstance, the situation. They had on the glasses, the lenses of legalism. And as they had these lenses on, it skewed the perspective of what God was doing in this man's life. Now, as we launch into some of this, we've got to define some terms because a lot of times we do not define those when we start talking in circles. And I don't want to talk in circles, and you probably don't want to listen in circles, right? So let's define this. What do I mean by legalism? Let me give you a definition, a working definition. Legalism is thinking we can gain favor. We can gain favor with God by doing a list of external activities. Let me say that again. Legalism is thinking we can gain favor with God because I do all of these things. I now am in better favor with Him because I do X, Y, and Z is the idea. Let me, and I'm going to stick close to my notes because I want to make sure what I've written down I wanted to cover in this. Now, the word legalism, I'm going to own it. It does, not, it does not occur in the Word of God. You will not find it in the Bible. It is a term that Christians use to describe a doctrinal position emphasizing a system of rules and regulations for achieving, hear me now, achieving both salvation and also spiritual growth. Uh, Paul wrote the Galatians. There was legalism going on there because they were adding to a salvation through circumcision and things like that. But then also people would say, in order for you to gain favor with God after salvation, you got to do these things. Well, well, no, no, no. Favor with God is not contingent upon what I do. Hear me, and this is what we believe. Favor with God depends on what Jesus Christ has already done. I am a child of God, and the Bible tells me because of what Jesus Christ has done, I am now accepted in the Beloved. And if you're a child of God this morning, that is you as well. You are accepted in the beloved. Isn't that a blessing? What a joy that is. Yeah. Legalists believe in and demand a strict literal adherence to rules and regulations. Let me stop here again. 
Nothing wrong with rules. Nothing wrong with regulations. We need to have them. Nothing wrong with standards. We need to have them. Doctrinally, it is a position essentially opposed to grace. Those who hold to a legalistic position often fail to see the real purpose of the law, especially the purpose of the Old Testament law of Moses, which is to be our schoolmaster, as Galatians 3.24 talks about, or is to be our tutor, to be instructive in that. It's amazing. Even true believers can be legalists. And can I admit to you this morning, I am a recovering legalist. Candidly. We are instructed rather to be gracious to one another. Uh, Romans 14.1. I love Paul giving instruction as he enters into the discussion about Christian liberty there. He says this. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Uh, the idea is this. Without passing judgment on disputable matters. Without passing judgment on disputable matters, doubtful disputations, Romans 14.1. But sadly, sadly there are those who feel so strongly about non-essential doctrines that they will run others out of churches, not even allowing people to express other viewpoints. That, too, is legalism. Trying to gain God's favor by doing something externally. Many legalist believers today make the mistake of unqualified adherences to their own biblical interpretations and even, frankly, to their own traditions, saying, if you don't do it this way, God's unhappy with you. We must be careful with those statements. Now, I believe that we should be loud where the Bible is loud. Could I get an amen on that? And we need to preach against sin. We need to call sin sin and call it wrong. But we also shouldn't be loud where the Scriptures are quiet. There are many white spaces in the Word of God that, yes, we need to have the Spirit of God lead us in, but they should not be hobby horses that we ride into the sunset. Certainly. What is legalism in our account, you might say? What's this look like, this idea of legalism? I'm glad you asked that question. If you're still with me this morning, say amen. amen. Okay, good. If your neighbor's not awake, wake him up for me, would you? Good. According to Exodus 20, we're kind of coming to this idea of the Sabbath in our text here. According to Exodus 20:11, the Hebrew people were to stop all work on the Sabbath day because the Creator rested after the sixth day of creation. Uh, take your Bibles, go to Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse number 11. Uh, by the way, for those Bible college students that don't know, that is the Ten Commandments chapter, by the way. All right? Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Let's see this here. Verse number 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he what? Holiday. Yeah. God made this special day of rest for his people, and he gave that example after resting after creation. God set aside the seventh day truly as a gift to commemorate the Lord's creation, celebrate His provision. He intended it, hear me now, to be a time of resting and worship with the family. However, by the time of Jesus, what's happened now is the Pharisees had turned this wonderful gift of grace. The Sabbath truly was a gift of grace. They now turned it into a toilsome burden that kind of 
weighed heavy on those Jewish people. To the simple command of Exodus chapter 20, verse number 11, the simple command was to rest uh, in Exodus chapter 20, 11. The Pharisees took that and they added a long list of specific prohibitions. And in case they overlooked something, hear me now, in their law they established 39 categories. 39 categories of forbidden activities on the Sabbath day. Shocking. 39's a lot. God gave one. They say, well, let's going to put 39 together, all right? And here what some of them were. They, there was no carrying, burning, extinguishing, finishing, writing, erasing, cooking, washing, sewing, tearing, knotting, untying, shaping, plowing, planting, reaping, harvesting, threshing, winnowing, selecting, sifting, grinding, kneading, combining, <gasps> spinning, dyeing, chain stitching, warping, weaving, unraveling, building, demolishing, trapping, shearing, slaughtering, skinning, tanning. Now that's not tanning like we would do today, amen? Uh, tanning, smothering, and marking. They weren't to do any of those things on the Sabbath day. Now, was that a bad thing that they set some of those things? No, it wasn't. Because they were, they were recognizing God wants us to rest on that day. And this is a good idea that we, these are some things that we should probably not engage in. The problem comes is this. They now said, these laws we have made up are on the same level as God's commands. That's where the problem always arises with the legalist. Where they say, our standards we have set are on the same level of authority as God's commands. Hear me. There is nothing that is on the same level of authority as the Word of God. No matter how deep your conviction is about an issue, God's Word triumphs and trumps any other thoughts. Amen? Certainly we believe in the authority of God's Word here at West Coast Baptist College. I know you do. So are, can these be good things to follow? Absolutely. But the thing is, they put that on the same level of authority as God's commands. It's good for us to have standards, but let's make no mistake about it. Standards are never on the same level as God's commands. Never. We need to go back to that principle, and that should be the driving agent that drives us there. The long list made the Sabbath day, hear me now, a burden instead of a blessing that God intended it to be. Because of the legalism of these religious leaders, they missed the miracle. They missed the miracle. Hey, what are you carrying your bed for? Wait, you're actually healed. They didn't even notice that he was healed. It's like, come on, guys, really? They had the lenses of legalism on. There was criticism rather than celebration. There was a focus on mandates more than a focus on the miracle. They were focused on the technicalities rather than focusing on the triumph. They were focused on the law rather than focusing on the love. There was standards more than the Savior. A focus on rule following more than relationship fostering. Uh, they, they majored on the minors. Legalists focus on the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law. Legalism is a system that is based in fear characterized by joyless judgmentalism producing futility instead of freedom. I think Jesus said it really well. He has a way of doing that, doesn't he? Yeah. That was a joke, by the way, sorry. About legalists in his day. Matthew 23, 23. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For ye tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave them undone. Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a what? Camel. They missing the miracle. Straining at gnats, swallowing camels. Yeah. They couldn't see, as we would say in Washington, the forest through the trees. In Lancaster, California, the illustration would be they couldn't see the desert through the sand, I guess is what it would be here. I'm not sure I'd say it here. But that's, that's the idea. They were missing the miracle. Sad to say, far too often, especially in my early ministry and in Bible college, I missed many miracles of God. You know why? I had on the lenses of legalism. I missed the miracles of God because I had the lenses of legalism on. I'm thankful for churches like ours, amen? Try that. Try that. If you're thankful for Lancaster Baptist Church, say amen. amen. Okay, good. I should make sure they're still with me on this thing. Just got kind of quiet. I'm thankful for churches like ours. I am. The stands we take, I love it. But all churches, let's not be proud nor naive, all churches struggle with something. Churches like ours, I'll just say Bible Baptist Church. Let's just, I'll say my, our, our church, my church, church I'm pastoring. We do not struggle with liberalism. But we do struggle with legalism. I think it's a movement, and I love our movement, but I think our movement, we, we all of us struggle in different ways. I think our struggle is not with liberalism. I think most of the time our struggle is with legalism. Uh, Thomas Rayner, have you ever heard of Thomas Rayner? Uh, he's a Southern Baptist, and he does uh, some uh, studies when it comes to church and church dynamics and church culture and, and all of those things. Um, and he did a, a, just an impromptu survey as part of uh, his online ministry that he's got. Uh, top 10 survey, and he admits, he says, this is not an official survey. He says, I just kind of wanted to put a temperature out there and just kind of see the responses. And here's the question that he put out to cyberspace and just solicited responses. And the question was this. What do you think of when you, heard, when you hear the word Baptist? It's a good question. Are you guys curious? Have you guys ever heard this before? What do you think of when you hear the word Baptist? Are you ready for it? We're starting at 15, work our way back to 1. We're, we're going here. I need to keep moving. Here we go. A missions. All God's people said, amen. That's great. I love that. Missions. That was 15. 14. Suits and ties. 13, hymns, uh, uh, fundamentalism, the next one. Sound theology, praise the Lord. Conservative, uh, the next one I found kind of, almost carried, uh, cracked me up. Boring. <laughs> uh, the next one was Southern. Uh, the next one was outdated. Uh, the next one was Bible, praise the Lord. Uh, the next one was traditional. Uh, the next one also cracked me up, John the Baptist. I thought that was a good one in there too. Yeah, uh, John the Baptist. Immersion, that's another one they thought of when they thought of Baptist, praise the Lord. Number two on the list, potlucks. Oh, it kills me. I hate potlucks. Because you just, you just don't know what people are going to bring. And I know what some of those kitchens look like. And anyways, that's just a different another time for that one. Number one thing that people think of when they think of Baptists. 
Legalism. That was number one on the list. I'm not saying it's not a scientific study. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying as a whole, when people hear the word Baptist, these are the responses they have. But I want to weigh those top 15 answers and something is missing from the lips of what Jesus Christ wanted us to be. In John 13, 35. By this shall all men know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Love, grace, mercy did not even make the top 15 of Baptists. Now that's in the Bible, amen? So is truth, holiness, and godliness. Uh, By the way, those aren't like on polar opposites. You you have to do one without the other. No, that's not the way our God works. All those are His characters, His attributes. Some of you might be asking now, so do I have on the lenses of legalism? Well, let me give you just some simple points here. I've got to move quickly. Symptoms of legalism. Some symptoms of legalism. Number one. The symptoms of legalism, number one, you lack joy. You lack joy. It's impossible impossible to be a legalist and joyful at the same time. Joy comes from knowing that your sins are forgiven. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Misery comes from trying to earn forgiveness from God. Legalists, they don't smile. They kind of just grimace. Legalists do. You're a legalist if you lack joy. Number two, number two, you just feel like God is always unhappy with you. Uh, God just is. You know that technically God accepts you because of Jesus' death for you, but just because God accepts you doesn't necessarily mean that God is happy with you. You feel like you have, you've gotten into God's kingdom, you're, you're, you're one of his children, but it's through some type of technicality, it's through some kind of loophole, and now you kind of feel like God just tolerates you like he's some type of divine probation officer. Hear me, if you're a child of God, you are highly favored and greatly blessed. Believe that. Number three, you just feel like you're never doing enough. You ever feel like that? I'm just never doing enough. You always have this vague, nagging guilt that comes from feeling like you're not accomplishing what you should be. You're not evangelizing or praying or reading your Bible enough. You should be fasting more, serving more, doing this more. Remembering that you were able to... uh, You guys remember that time you were able to rest in God's presence? Oh, wait. You can't do that because you just got to keep doing and serving and following. That never happened. You always need to be doing more. I remember, especially young in ministry, I just thought, man, I just got to keep doing more and and getting more and uh, accomplishing more and and more, 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 more. All the extent of it, I was losing my relationship with God because I was trying to do things for Him all of the time. Sometimes you just need to be like Mary and just choose the more needful thing. The next one is you add good works to your repentance. That's for, sin, for salvation or even during our sanctification process on this earth. You add good works, you repentance. When you sin, you repent, but you still feel guilty, so you repent again. Uh, this time with more feeling and fervency, 
but you wonder if you really felt sorry enough. So now you repent again and vow to read your Bible for an extra hour every night. You try to use your good works like a solve from your guilty conscience and you're trying to do that and trying to earn God's favor. Hear me. That's an effort in futility. You cannot do that. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from most unrighteousness. What's your Bible say? All unrighteousness, certainly. Number, what is that, five next there? You're hard on other people. You're hard on others. Criticism is the native language of the legalist. You aren't aware of God's grace towards you, and you don't give grace to others as well. You're like a shark who can smell the slightest drop of sin in the water. And when you see someone thrashing and struggling with sin, the criticism frenzy begins, and in short order. That is not God-honoring. Not that you shouldn't go to your brother, and the Bible tells us that we are to rebuke the unruly, absolutely, admonish the unruly. We are to do that, but we need to make sure we have the right heart in that. The symptoms of legalism. Well, what's the result of legalism? What's the result? Let me give you just three things on the results of legalism. Uh, Well, four things and we'll be done. Number one, if you are a legalist, you will become proud. uh, Legalism breeds pride. This is a mindset that Jesus unequivocally condemns. Legalists are good at seeing others sin, but they're blind to their own sin. They think they are better. They think they are more spiritual. Now, They would never say that because that would be unspiritual to say that, right? But you know what I'm talking about within the attitude of that because they follow a set of man-made standards and preferences. They're like, I'm just kind of a cut above that other believers that aren't quite enlightened yet. But maybe one day they will reach this level of knowledge such as myself. Six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination. Number one on that list, a proud look. God, He resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. The second result is feeling like a failure. You ever felt like that? Yeah. Legalists, they follow that that man-made list of do's and don'ts. And the issue with that is that we fall short of these lists every single time we make them. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have rules. I'm not saying you shouldn't have standards. You need to have those things. But we need to be very careful that we are gauging everything by man-made standards and rules. When we gauge our spirituality by lists, we will feel like failures. Because hear me, we will never measure up. You will never do everything you think that you should be doing, if you will. Now, that's not an excuse to be lazy. Which leads me to my next one. Legalism is lazy Christianity. I said, what do you mean? I just feel so burdened in that. Well, when we set the lists of do's and don'ts, we can feel good about ourselves. Well, I'm doing most of them, and I'm pretty much doing all of them. And if I really compare myself, I mean, I certainly we would never compare ourselves to Dr. Getch, obviously, right? But if I compare myself to somebody else, that was a joke, by the way. Anyways. If I compare myself to somebody else, well, I'm doing far better. And, and yeah, I, I think I'm doing pretty good spiritually. That's a legalist. Legalism's lazy. What we need to do is we need to allow the Word of God and the Spirit of God to saturate our beings 
and expose and expel the things that need to get out and, and encourage the things that need to stay in. And I'm telling you, that is the hard work of that personal walk with God. Lazy Christians say, can you just give me a list and I'll just check the boxes. That would be easy. Yeah, you're right, it is easy. But we're going to be led of the Spirit. And lastly, legalists, <laughs> they love to take out that long bony finger and point it at sin. But your finger, yes, nothing wrong with pointing to sin, but should immediately point that individual to the Savior. The legalists, they'll point the finger and then they'll be like, well, with me, let me tell you what I do. And they point the finger at well, frankly, their own personal Savior, and that's them. The way of liberty. It hungers for God's word when it's preached and doesn't sit in chairs and critique the sermon. That's legalism. The way of liberty attends church services as an overflow of relationship. The legalist attends church services out of tradition, out of a sense of duty. The way of liberty serves God out of a heart of love and delight. The legalist kind of serves out of guilt and duty. I just got to check the boxes. The way of liberty receives truth from God and is humbled. The legalist accumulates a lot of head knowledge and becomes extremely proud. The way of liberty rejoices with those who rejoice and weeps with those that weep. The way of the legalist is stifled when it comes to experiencing appropriate emotions such as we find in the book of Psalms. The way of liberty rests in being accepted in the beloved of God. The way of legalism performs in order to gain acceptance and approval. Let me ask you, are you missing the miracle? Are you missing the miracle? Man, our God is a God of help and a God of hope. Once again, if you believe that, say amen. Amen. The thing is, you might be missing what God is doing because, frankly, you're like these legalists in John chapter number 5 in which you have these lenses of legalism on and all you can focus is on the technicalities that you have set in place. And you're kind of like, well, I just don't know if God can bless that because he didn't run it by me first. Newsflash, you're not God, he is. He doesn't have to run anything by you. I just want to be a help this morning to some pretty amazing young people that are looking to go out and, well, not even go out, that are making a difference for Christ here. And they're going to go out and make a difference for Christ all around the world. This is something that I faced. This is something that I failed at early in ministry. And I just don't want to see you make that same mistake. So maybe there's some this morning. What you need to do is you need to Remove the lenses of legalism.